Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. While you're doing that, I'll tell you a little joke. I haven't done this in a while. I remember my famous parrot joke. Anybody remember the famous parrot joke? Uh, that's the only hands I need to tell that one again sometime. That's a classic. That's a, that's an absolute classic. And they're giving it in Mark. Oh yeah. See, my mother-in-law sent me a joke this week and, uh, uh, I thought it was pretty cute. And it's one of those typical three mice sitting together, but they're at a bar. So I'll change it, make it more churchy. Uh, you know, three mice got together at a, at a 10 year high school re- or at a church fellowship. Okay. Three mice got together at a church fellowship. Got to keep it churchy this morning. And uh, they were just sitting around trying to impress one another with their manliness, micehood, you know. And uh, the first mouse said, you know what, fellas? He said, uh, to be honest with you, I love mousetraps. Every time I see a mousetrap, I lay down next to it. And I put my foot over and I trip it with my foot. And, I, and the bar comes around. I catch it with my teeth. And I'll bench press that bar a good 20 times just to prove that I don't care about this bar. And then I'll snag the piece of cheese and go on about my way. And they're like, wow, you're you're pretty tough. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Second mouse said, well, you know, I appreciate that. He said, but I'll tell you the truth, guys, I love rat poison. I just love rat poison. And so every time I see rat poison, I collect as much as I can because it just makes my coffee sweeter in the morning. Like, wow, this guy's pretty tough. Third guy, he finally said, fellas, he said, uh, I don't have time for this anymore. I, I gotta go. I got a date with a cat. So <laughs> anyway, that's your joke for this morning. All right. So Tough mice at the church fellowship. So, <laughs> praise God. Let's turn with them. Did they say Mark chapter 4? Amen. I've got a lot of things on my heart this morning. And, um, uh, man, I'm so glad for the direction of the Holy Ghost when he gives us something. And so I'm going to try my best to, like I said, to get through this because I, I don't get a whole lot of uh, that many Sunday morning opportunities. And so I want to try to get through much of this. There, There's many things in here that we could stop and and take a lot more time and look into, and it would be good for us. But just for the sake of today's message and in this time, this is the parable of the sower. Now, I've talked about this before. I believe this is one of the foundational truths uh, uh, that, that, that we should hold dear in our life. And so let's just start in Mark chapter 4. We're starting the four, in the first verse. Said and again, he, being, being Jesus, began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into the boat and sat, sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things. Then he taught them many things by parables. And he said to them in his teaching, teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up uh, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7, and some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Verse 8, but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. And that last phrase is a powerful statement. Let he, him who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, as we go forward and really in our walk with God, it's so important that we not just let things come in our physical ears, but actually take account of what is the word of God saying to us. And then put these things to practice in our life. Amen. So today I want to talk a little bit about seeds. I got a slide here, title for it. Ooh, uh, have a title here for, uh, for the best. We'll talk about seeds this morning. And, um, it's, it's, like I said, this is a foundational parable, I believe. And, and one that, uh, for me is something that I've definitely gone back to uh, often and, and, uh, I'm always seeing something different in it. And that's, you know, that's really the way the word of God is period. Once you study it, there's fresh revelation, fresh, fresh light, fresh things to see all the time, uh, that are, that are a blessing and a help to us in this life. Wouldn't you agree? And so, you know, he said to them, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Of course, we know that not everybody stayed. Many people left, but uh, the disciples, you know, wanted to know what this was all about. So in the 13th verse, he goes on to explain it. So let's look at the explanation that Jesus gave of this parable in Mark chapter four, verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all other parables? Uh, There's something I said, there's something about this parable that, that enables us to understand the other things that Jesus taught. This is very, very important. He said, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the, where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. You know, each part of this, 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 these verses, we could stop and look at different things, but, but we won't. But it's important that we're on guard that Satan not immediately come and steal things from our heart. Wouldn't you agree? Verse 16 says, these likewise, likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. And that's a good thing. And yet they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, notice it didn't say if, but it says when, you know, anytime you hear something from God's word, you're going to have some uh, opportunities to do something else. Hey, I wish I'd get some help this morning. You can have some opportunities to do something. Anybody ever experienced some opportunities to do something else? Yeah, it comes to all of us, right? It says when a persecution or a tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Verse 18, now they, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in, choke, entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30 some 60 and some a hundred. So this parable, he said, this is, this is a foundational parable really that our understanding of this uh, is, is a help to us to understand the other things that are taught here in the scriptures. And, um, the word of God, and we'll just, like I said, don't have a whole lot of time to spend here, but the soil here that it's referring to is actually talking about our hearts. You realize that, right? The soil, not talking about actual Jesus explanation wasn't actually about dirt, but it was, uh, referring to the, the heart, the soil of your heart. The Bible says in uh, Proverbs chapter, chapter 4, verse 23, and I'll just read it to you. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your, all, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Do you realize that, that, that your heart, your spirit, your, uh, the real you, is where the source of things in life, where they're produced, is really comes out of your heart. Your spiritual, your spiritual nature, your spiritual conduct, your spiritual lifestyle, you can say it that way. What kind of dirt, the condition of your soil, your heart, will, will determine the produce of your life. And so for each of us to watch and take guard and to be very careful about the things that get sown into our life, it is of the utmost importance. 
It is of the utmost importance. And the truth is that I can't see, I can't stand guard over what is sown into your life. Now, as a, as a minister, a pastor, I've got a certain responsibility to present certain truths and, and to say certain things. But ultimately, your soil, your heart, your life will be a direct reflection and the produce of your life will be a direct reflection of what you allow to be deposited in your heart. What you accept, what you allow to be planted will be the, will be the produce of your life. And I'll tell you this, whatever gets planted, it produces. Whatever gets planted, it produces. When God created us as, as spirit beings, we are alive and the life of God is in us. Whether the person knows Christ or not, there is, there is a part of the, the very nature uh, and the very part, fabric of humanity that in your spirit, it is a lot. It is, it is productive soil and whatever gets placed there is going to produce. And so guarding our hearts is something of extreme importance that we're careful to make sure that, that uh, we're watching over our hearts and, and, and looking into these things. Well, if that's the soil as our heart, what is the seeds that's being talked about? Seeds are really nothing more than thoughts, ideas, uh, uh, value systems, concepts. That's what seeds are. And obviously here in this parable, it's talking about uh, uh, the word of God being sown. He said that's the word of God, a sower obviously being God. And he sows the word. And so... You know, the word of God is so important to us. I hope, I hope you're all growing in your appreciation for the word of God. Every day, it, it is something to me that I cherish more and more. It's not God. It's not, it's not Jesus, but it is, his, it is his very heart. It is his revelation. It is, his, it, is, it is a pure reflection of who he is. And to say that you love God apart from his word, those two don't go together. If you love him, you're going to love his word. There's someone in your life that you care about. If they were to write you a personal letter that they just spill their heart to you, you're going to value that. You're not going to treat that as, as secondary or unuseful. You're going to value that. Why? Because you love the person. And the truth is, if we'll value this word, we'll get to know him more and more and more. I tell you, anybody who grows cold in their walk with God, first of all, started neglecting the word of God in their life. It's a fact. These things don't happen. These things don't just happen just because the devil is so powerful and can do whatever he wants. We allow whatever happens in our life is what we allow. And so no matter where we find ourselves, if we, if now everybody wants to place blame on somebody else. And it started from the beginning, Adam and Eve, you know, they, when G, when, when the father came, Hey, what happened? The blame game started and it's a part of fallen human nature. Everybody wants to blame somebody, but if you're ever going to grow, you got to know that ultimately it's my responsibility. Now there are things, yes, that do happen to us in our lives, but they do not dictate what happens ultimately in our life. And it does not dictate or determine the quality of life that we experience. Even in the worst of situations, God is able to deliver you, right? And so it is so important that we keep uh, God's word at the forefront of our life and really keep our, it's a part of our relationship with him. Now, there are those out there that, that get into the place where they start worshiping the, the word of God. Like I said, this is not God, it's his word and it's vital. It is the doorway or the, it is help for us to experience. I mean, we do also know this, that God will do nothing outside of his word, meaning that the principles and the truths that are found here, you're not going to find anything outside of that. He won't violate his word, Right. People who are looking for, Pastor talked last week about revelation, people looking for revelation, any revelation that comes is going to be found in these scriptures and line up with these scriptures. But keeping this at the forefront of your life is so important. And, and because the fact is, it's not the only seed that's being sown. 
before we get into that, you know, uh, just quickly, how many remember several months ago, maybe, you know how time is, it goes by pretty quick. Uh, pastor did a message uh, a while back on the authority of scripture where concerning uh, Jesus and, and the prophecies about Jesus. You guys remember that? And it was, I don't know how long ago it was, it's been a while, but I couldn't find where it, when he talked about it. So I did my own research this week and, and, it, and, it, and it encouraged me. You know, God's scripture is powerful. And really, it is an amazing thing. And so I, I looked up this last week, just kind of did some research. There was a gentleman, and we're not going to spend much time on this, but a gentleman by the name of Peter Stoner who was alive in the 1950s. And uh, he wrote a book uh, uh, on the, uh, the accuracy of Scripture and, and looked at different things about Scripture. And, and, you know, when you really, whether or not people put their trust in the Word is, whether, is really a direct reflection of whether they believe it or not. What you believe, you trust in. And what you don't believe, you don't really trust in. What you just agree with when, when pressure comes, you'll see what somebody really believes when pressure comes by what they do with it, by where they put their, what they rely on, where they put their weight on. And, you know, the Word of God is an amazing thing. It's obviously 66 books in the Bible are, are there. Uh, it's written over a period of a, uh, roughly 1,500 years, 40 different, uh, over 40 different individuals wrote it, uh, different backgrounds, kings. You had tent makers. You had a cup maker. You may know who the cup maker was who wrote Scripture. You may know who the cup maker was. I asked Steve. He didn't know either this week. Uh, Nehemiah. Anyway, he was, a cup, he, was a, he was a cup bearer, not a cup maker, cup bearer. And um, Nehemiah was a cup bearer, also a prophet. But um, different people, different backgrounds, and medical doctors, tax collectors, all different ones. People coming from different backgrounds and different um, uh, uh, perspectives and different things. It was written, like I said, over 1,500 years. People who spoke different languages. There was no one orchestrating the writing of the Bible, a physical person writing the, the, the Bible. There was no overlying committee over, overwatching the, the writing of these things. The only way that, that this could have been, been done is because it was inspired by God. Just on the prophecies alone of Jesus that spoke, and there's over 300 prophecies that spoke of, of, of our Savior. And of these, uh, this uh, individual, he was a mathematician, and, and uh, he did up a, a, a study on this. And we won't go into all the detail of it, but he, uh, he eight different prophecies that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. He'd be preceded by a messenger. Uh, Christ would enter, enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. Christ would be betrayed by a friend. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. The money uh, that uh, he was sold for would be thrown to the potter. Uh, Christ would be silent before his accusers. Christ would be executed by crucifixion as a thief. Now, remember, these were written by different, different authors at different periods of time, different nationalities, different customs. And the accuracy of this is really mind-boggling. Jesus has fulfilled over 300 of these prophecies. And this person mathematically wrote down the possibility of one individual, just he started with eight, satisfying eight of these prophecies, that one individual could do this. And it's a one, if you have a, a, a basket or a bucket full of tennis balls, right? You have 10 tennis balls, and you paint one of them red. And you have a bucket of 10 balls, but all are green except for one red one. You blindfold somebody. The odds are it's a 1 in 10 chance that somebody could reach in and first try, grab out the red tennis ball. So he did a, he said he, 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 he did a mathematical equation. Several people study this. They verified it. I'm not a mathematician, so I can't verify it. But I have to go by what smarter people than me. Maybe Dan can figure this out. But um, uh, this is what he came up with. So these eight prophecies, it is a, instead of a 1 in 10, it was a 1 in one with 17 zeros at the end. That is 100 quadrillion that one individual would be able to satisfy all eight of these prophecies that were written. One in 100 quadrillion. 
that is a, a staggering number. Would you like to have a one quadrillion dollars? You would not know what to do with it. Trust me. He, he gave this comparison. If I had um, one, uh, 100 quadrillion silver dollars, he said, if you were to have, a one, one, if you were to have 100 quadrillion silver, silver dollars and you were to put these into, uh, into a ball, some of this gets pretty technical, so I'm going to not read all of it. If you were to put this in, yeah, no, if you were to have these, it would cover the entire state of Texas two feet tall in silver dollars. You paint one of those red and have somebody blindfolded go out to the middle of the state of Texas and randomly pick out the right silver dollar. I mean, no, that's probably not going to happen. One in 100 quadrillion, right? Then he went on to the next one. He said, if you add eight more prophecies, it goes to one with 45 zeros at the end. I don't even know what number that is, but he used the same comparison of a silver dollar. He said, if you were to take this silver dollar, same silver dollar, paint one of them red and stick it in a, in a group of all other silver dollars and make a sphere out of it, the, the radius of this sphere would be 60 times greater than the distance the earth is from the sun. It'd be about 5.5 billion miles. One red one in the middle of all of those others, and one person could pull that out blindfolded. That is... That is ridiculous, not even possible. He said that uh, if you were to, with modern technology, you know, you could fly around the earth in roughly 24 hours. It can be done. It's no fun, I can tell you that. Uh, you can fly around with modern technology, take off and take 24 hours. If you could fly nonstop, you could get around the earth. He said if you were to try to fly around this sphere, this globe of silver, silver dollars with today's modern technology and not having to stop with the fuel, if you took off the day the pilgrims landed in Plymouth, Massachusetts in 1620, you would not have yet arrived today. You'd still be flying just to fly around a sphere of one with 45 zeros at the end of, end of it. How you know the odds are not in our favor of that happening? By random stance. He went on and, and did another 48 prophecies. It got up to 157 zeros. I didn't make a slide for that. There's really no point. And, and the example he gave was just absolutely, uh, this sphere would, would, be, would go out further than our most powerful telescopes have seen into, sp- into space, would be how big this sphere would be. And what Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies written by different individuals from different cultures over different periods of time. Some of them were written 500 years before he was born, others 800 years. I mean, this spanned a very large amount of time. The only person that could have orchestrated such a writing as this is God. It's not possible that anybody else could possibly conceive of anything this magnificent and come up with this. But, you know, people put their trust in a lot of different things when really we've got something that is so far beyond the, the, the realms of being trustworthy. It's the word of God. The Bible says of the word, it says in Second uh, Timothy, Paul wrote, he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. When we look at just the odds of Jesus fulfilling the, 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 these prophecies about him, If those are true, the rest of it is also true. We've got to get to the place where we start taking God's word at face value without trying to write a disqualifier or explain something away. If the word of God says it, it's true. It is more true than anything else. And in fact, it is the only thing we can base our lives upon. God's word is certain. 
He said that God's word is so that all scripture is given by God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That tells us without these things, without this inspiration, without this doctrine, this reproof, this correction, this instruction and in righteousness, the man of God will not be complete, will not be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Outside of God's word, we cannot know who we truly are, nor can we be who God has made us and destined us to be. Without this, we cannot achieve those things. It is so important that each of us put a high priority, in fact, a higher than anything else priority on God's word right here. And this is the word that is being sown into our lives. That If we allow it to be sown, it will produce. The fourth person, uh, the soil, the heart of the fourth person, it produced some 30, some 60, and some 90, some 100 fold. The amount it produces for you is entirely for the, uh, depend upon the weight you place upon it in your life. It is of the utmost important that we value God's word. There is no greater authority than this. But this, these scriptures in Matthew, or Mark chapter 4 rather, in the third person that he's talking about, it says that, uh, uh, that it says that the, let me find the place here. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns, the ones that when they hear the word, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. This is a description of a person's soil, a person's heart, where the seed of God's word has been deposited, but it is obvious that other seeds have also been deposited. Because it says the thorns come, are there and they choke the word out. Now it describes what these thorns are, these seeds are, the produce of these things. He calls them the, uh, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and even the desire for other things. These are, uh, how many know that riches and blessing, that is something that belongs to us as children of God. But if we begin to seek it, it can actually become a thorn and a hindrance in our life if we seek the blessing and not the blesser. The truth is, as a nation, we are very blessed. We are very blessed people. And it's because of the principles of God's word that were placed in the lives of this nation, the people of this nation, many, many, many years ago. But if we're not careful, if we begin to pursue after those things, the blessing will be even begin to choke out the one who placed the, the word, the, the, the thing that caused the blessing to come. And we can see it happening around us. But, you know, it can also happen in our individual lives. There are other voices, other ideas, other interests, other values, other principles that are out there that are daily attempting to be deposited into your life. Do you realize that? It's happening all over the place. Things are being deposited or trying to be deposited in your life. It says of this person when the word took root that the thorns that were already there choked it out. It is safe to say no matter how much we know, there are things in our life that we need to get the spiritual uh, roundup out, so to speak, and start getting rid of some other weeds, some other thorn bushes out of our life so that the word doesn't become ineffective in our hearts. That is nobody's responsibility but our responsibility alone. It's our responsibility to make sure that this happens. There are many seeds that are out there. Now, just as an example, uh, uh, it's 1135. Thank you, Lord. Uh, just as an example, you know, there are, there are so many things. The word of God has got so many 
uh, promises and so many things. It's, it's amazing. But there's a lot of also instructions in it. One of the things that I, I like to talk about on Sunday nights, if you come on Sunday nights, uh, uh, that from time to time that I speak about when I was in Africa, uh, that Sunday morning, Pastor talked about, uh, I forgot what he said, he talked about the glory of God, the presence of the Lord. Actually, the Lord had told me to talk about uh, discipleship to the church I went to. And, and actually, Pastor Christopher, and I, Pastor Christopher and I were talking beforehand, and he said, he said, you know, one of the problems they have here, pastors don't know how to disciple anybody in Africa. There's not a teaching there. So that just confirmed what the Lord had told me to teach about. And, um, so I talked to him about discipleship and, and, um, you know, it, one of the things that it says that the commandment Jesus gave was teaching us, teaching them to go out and observe all things that he's commanded. There are so many commandments in the Bible, things that are spoken of that we need to do incorporate into our life, but we have, we have to learn to do these. If we're going to produce that in somebody else, we've got to first produce that in ourselves. The truth is we're all reproducing after ourselves. And whether you're someone who puts into action these things or not, you are reproducing that, those habits and traits in other people. But, you know, th- this idea of, of being a doer of the word and, and the fact that it requires a decision to, to do certain things and not do other things, really it's a valuing on, on which seed is more important in your life. Which thing will you allow to stay planted? Which thing are you going to trust and what are you going to water in your life? You know, being in youth ministry, done this now for quite a while. One of the things that we talk about every single year, there's, I've got a list, you know, obviously, uh, as a, as a church here and next door, you know, uh, there's certain, we, we always endeavor to be led by the spirit when it comes time to talk about different topics. But if the spirit of God isn't specifically pointing me in a direction that is for this week, I've got a list of certain things that I cover just on a periodic basis or on a, on, on a very regular basis. And any of those in here who've, who maybe you've grown up and you were in the youth group when I was around, you heard about this at the beginning of every school year. Now this year we haven't gotten to it cause we've been busy in other things, but it's coming, but but um, this, this area is just an area, it's an example of where distractions or thorns try to get into our lives in the area of relationships. I've said this to the teenagers over the years that relationship choices, whether romantic, non-romantic, makes no difference. Relationship choices that people make and the value that we place on what's important in order to who to have a relationship with uh, is probably the greatest killer of on-fire teenagers that's out there is relationship choices. I've seen it over the years. A teenager just in love with Jesus, and then they meet that special person or meet somebody who just really turns their, 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 gets their attention, and suddenly we never see them again. Do you realize that goes on in the adult church too? How many know that in big church, that's also a problem. Relationships are an issue. Amen. Right. Some people get all nervous. Don't be nervous. It's interesting, this subject is something that the enemy goes after because ultimately we've been called to have a relationship with God. And so in this very area, he created you and I with a desire for relationships. And so he tries to satisfy us with other relationships that are outside the protection and the covenant of God's blessing to distract us ultimately to keep us out of relationship and fellowship with him. And so relationship is an issue that, that um, uh, uh, is something that people get caught up in all the time. There's a scripture we all know. Do not be unequally yoked to, with unbelievers, right? How many know that scripture? It's one that people just love it, right? There is such truth in this scripture. You know, there is no ambiguity in what the scripture tells us. On most things, there's no, there's no gray area. Over the years, I've seen this happen so many times where people have, have violated this scripture 
and really lost their love and zeal for God because they violated, they allowed a weed seed, a thorn seed to get planted and rooted in their life. And it grew up to choke out the word of God. I'm thinking of one individual that, that I knew, and, and this individual now uh, uh, began to develop a relationship as a friendship with somebody. And we won't go into all the details, but developed a friendship, and, and, and we talked about this afterward, and, and we discussed it. And I said, listen, you, you know better than this. And, and um, developed this friendship with someone they worked with and, and just really grew to, grew to really like this person, became best friends, became very, very close. Well, in the, in the period of time, this person found out that this individual that they had developed this relationship with was a lesbian. And so, you know, they, well, you know, when it talks about not, not being unequally yoked together, that means not allowing somebody to have influence in your life more than your influence in theirs. In important areas, you carry the light of the gospel, not allowing somebody else to deposit a darkness in your life. And she violated this scripture and became very close to this individual. And because of that, the, uh, she began to question her own sexuality. I love this person. I really, really like this person. The person that had to move, that had gotten a job transfer. And so they're going to move. And she was just heartbroken over and saying, why am I so heartbroken? Just devastated this person's moving. Well, she had, she had violated God's word. She allowed this person to gain a position in her life that she should have never have had in her life, where she valued her opinion. She valued her time with this person above being in church, above time with the scriptures, above all these other things. She began to let this thing take root in her life. Well, when this person had to move, she was so uh, heartbroken over it. The thought came, well, maybe it's because I'm a lesbian. I'm actually in love with this woman. Now, people laugh, but that's how deception comes. That's how the truth of God's word, how it gets choked out in somebody's life. And so she said, to tell you the truth, I had no physical attraction to her. Long story short, she, she had an encounter with this woman, ended up developing a relationship with this woman, and we talked about it. And she said, she said, Greg, I know it's wrong. I know it's not right. But you know what? I, it's, it's, she said, I know that's not what the Bible says. I know on all facets I shouldn't even be friends with this person. I understand that. But I'm willing to take the risk right now. And one day I'll grow tired of this and I'll get it straight. Can I tell you, it's been years and years and years and years, and they have not fixed that problem. And in fact, they have, their, their whole lifestyle is being centered around that culture. But it started by a violation of one simple command to not be unequally yet together with unbelievers. See, these things, we, we have to, weeds are insidious. Weeds are things that when they get a hold of your life, when they get root, you know, when you, I'm not a farmer. I'm not somebody that, that, that I'm, I don't have a green thumb, but I do have a yard and I do have grass that I have bore a son that now mows it. Thank you, Jesus. Right. That's why you have children. So they can mow the yard for you. It's wonderful. But I know when we first moved into that house, the grass, the yard was, was, was wonderful. It was very thick. It was very, it was very, now it's still green looking today, but the green you see in my yard today is not the same green it was when we first moved in. We moved in that green that was in the yard was a green that was full of grass. But what happened is we kept cutting the grass so that the grass couldn't sprout more, couldn't produce more seed from that grass. And we kept cutting it. In fact, I cut it for too low for far too many years and I weakened the grass. And what happened, it allowed an opportunity for weeds to gain root in my yard. When you pull up to my house now, yes, my yard is green and there's a lot of grass in it, but there's a whole lot more weeds in it now today than there was then. I didn't plant a single weed seed in that yard. 
The only thing I did was I didn't maintain the grass seed properly. I didn't look after the right seed and the wrong seed moved in. See, the, in our lives, the seeds of this life are being deposited in us on a daily basis. And if we're not careful to value the right seed and put into practice what that right seed instructs us to do, if we're not careful, it will eventually produce death in our life. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it produces what? Death. Now, we look at these things. And we say, yeah, we agree with that. We, we understand that. The same accuracy of the one who wrote scriptures and gave prophecies about the Messiah, Christ, is the same one that inspired the writing of that as well. If he said that there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it produces death, is there a way that seems right to man that actually produces death? You betcha. And does it do it some of the time or does it do it all of the time? All of the time. In the very beginning, Adam and Eve got into trouble because they had a thought outside of what God's thought was about a particular tree. Put them in the garden. All of these trees were there. They could eat of any of these trees, eat the best of fruit that had ever been seen. All of these trees. There was one tree that you can't eat of this tree. Now, God told Adam, don't eat this tree. The day you eat it, you'll surely die. Adam then you know, relayed that to Eve. Now, I don't know if, if he relayed it to Eve this way or not, or if she just added this part. She told the serpent later that if the day you touch it or eat it, you'll surely die, right? She added the touch it part. Well, God didn't say that in the beginning. She added that part. But the Bible, more importantly, says about Eve that when she saw the tree was good for food, even though she knew what God had said, she saw it was good for food. She made a decision to eat of it because it was good for food. You see, these things that we hear, these ideas, these thoughts, a lot of them have merit on the surface and have good things attached to it. And it may even seem right to somebody, but in the end, it leads to death. It looked good to Eve, but in the end, it led to death. Now, she didn't die. They didn't die immediately physically, but physical death started its work in mankind. But mankind died spiritually at that very moment. They disobeyed. What we do with the the word of God and the things that we hear, it will produce in our life. Now, there is grace when we make mistakes. There is grace. And the grace of God is there. I'm so thankful that we don't harvest immediately everything we sow. But a lifestyle of ignoring what God's word says will produce death in our lives if we're not careful. The other side is if we'll put into practice what God's word does say, it'll produce life in our lives. It'll produce good things in our life. And ultimately, it will be for our benefit. Wouldn't it have been better had Adam and Eve honored what God said and obeyed what he said? No matter how good the the, the fruit looked, wouldn't it have been better had they have done that? Yeah, we we would be in a different situation today. Had they done that, it is so important that we value what God's word says. You know, talk about relationships. It is, it is something that, that we must, and in all of these things, we must stay grounded and, and attached to God's word. There's a foundational difference. We did this slide, a foundational difference between the world and a believer. You can put it up, Rodney, foundational difference. The world says, I choose what is good, right, or best for me. The believer says, I choose what God says is right, is what is good, right, or best for me. There is a notable difference between the two. 
The world says, I choose what is good, right, or best for me. The believer says, I choose what God says is good, right, or best for me. And that is the foundational difference between a believer and a non-believer. Jesus said, if you love me, what did he say? Keep my commandments, right? In fact, our willingness to obey God is a direct reflection of our love for God. It is a direct reflection of our love for God, our willingness to obey what he said. You know, like I said earlier, there's a lot of wonderful promises in the word. There's a lot of wonderful things that are spoken of in the Lord, but there's also a lot of warnings in Scripture. You do realize there's a lot of warnings in Scripture. A lot of things are said that we should take to heart. And, um, you know, really this idea of obedience, whether it be in relationships, whether it be in, in, in this area, our finances, the raising of our children, all these things that people don't want to be talked to about, right? Uh, all of these areas that are, that are personal issues, right? And, and God's word, the scripture I read in the offering, that he's got, he's, he's got something to say for every part of our life. This willingness to, to choose to be obedient to God's word or to do what seems good to us is really, it's an issue of lordship. It's an issue of lordship in our lives. Now I can already tell I'm not going to get to everything today. We'll see what happens, but it's an issue of lordship. Who's Lord in our life? Go with me to, um, go with me to Colossians chapter two, Colossians, the second chapter. You doing all right out there? Colossians chapter two. Verse 6, Colossians 2, verse 6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Uh, the, the new living of this says, of verse 6 and 7 says, As you have received or accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep into him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. It doesn't say as you have accepted Christ as your savior. It says as you have accepted Christ as your Lord. You realize there is a difference between Lord and savior. You know, there's a difference. One is a position and one is a title. One is a position and you can say another way. One is a position and another is a benefit. If you accept Christ as your Lord, you get Jesus as your Savior. I refer it to the teenagers this way. People oftentimes want fire insurance, but they don't want to commit their life to God. But the Bible says in Romans that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is what? Lord. Then you'll, and confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved. It doesn't say if you believe that he's Savior. It says you believe in him, you confess him as Lord. There is a difference between the two. It is, like I said, there are many warnings in Scripture about these things. And, and I know, I'll say this, you know, in America, we have a hard concept of lordship. This is a democratic society, and it's the will of the, it's ruled by the will of the people. How many know that that's not the way the kingdom of, of, of heaven works? That's not the way the kingdom of God works. It's not the rule of the, of, of the majority that calls the shots. It's the rule of one. It's the, it's the call of one person. It's the, decide, the decrees and declarations of one individual that sets the tone and is the final standing on everything. I know it's hard for us to accept that here, but in, in many nations around the world, what one person says goes, they have no voice. 
Now, we've been given an opportunity in this age to make a decision which voice we listen to. But when it's all said and done, God's word and his decrees will be the only thing that stand. And whether we decide to accept that as make, make him our Lord or not determines how, where we end up in this, in, when all of this plays out. This scripture, go with me over to, um, uh, go with me to in Matthew chapter, uh, let's, this is the, in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter seven. We'll read this, Matthew chapter seven. In the 21st verse, Matthew seven, verse 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, you who practice lawlessness. Now, that, that, is, that is a scripture I know growing up is one that I didn't like to read a whole lot. It made me a little uncomfortable. Anybody made that, anybody, that scripture made a little uncomfortable? People said that many in the, many, it didn't say a few in that day. It said many in that day. Now let's go back to what I said earlier, that scripture is given by God. It is inspired by God and it is the ultimate authority. What it says is the truth. Think about this. It's not just an idea. It is the fact of base. God he not only was and is, but he is also the one that he knows the beginning from the end. He knows all the details in, in, in from all along the way. He knows how this plays out. Think about this scripture. He says many in that day. That's not a few. That's many people in that day. Many in that day. Now I can tell you, I'll just stop for me personally. This is something I want to make sure that I'm not a part of that many. How many would agree with me? Because I realize if God said it, if it's in scripture, there must be validity to it. If all scripture is inspired by God and it's true, if Jesus said it, this is the fact that will be seen on that day. Many will say, Lord, Lord, and they'll even say, look at all the things that I did for you. This means these are people that were excited about what God was doing. They were excited about the work of God. They agreed with the work of God. They even were used by God to accomplish God's will in the earth. And yet on that day, many of those people will say, Lord, Lord, look at what I've done for you. But he'll say, depart from me because I didn't know you. The issue of, 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 our, of seas and what, whether we obey the scripture, whether we do things, it really boils down to an issue of lordship. Who is Lord in our life? Who is Lord in our life? Now, I'm grateful for the grace of God because when I disobey, when I fall short, the grace is there to, to, to pick me up and get me back on path. But I must determine to have a lifestyle while I honor God's word and endeavor to do what I know. And the light that I have to walk in that light. And when there's another seed or another thorn that produces or shows itself that is in opposition of what God has told me, I got to get rid of that thing. Why? Because in the end, it produces death if I don't deal with it. You say, well, this is not a real happy message, brother, uh, you know, brother, brother, pastor Greg. I tell you what, this is this, this truth is so vital because on that day, there'll be many people there who were not aware of this. 
And they'll stand before God at the end of their life and say, what do you mean? I can't, what do you mean? What do you mean? I don't qualify. Look at all that I did for you. Those things are wonderful, but making Jesus the Lord of our life is a decision we must make. I'm going to value him. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I'm going to value what he says above everything else. He is God and I am not. People say, well, that's too difficult. Listen, if God required us to crawl on our bellies the rest of our life in order to make heaven, it would be worth doing. Why? Because he said, if, it, if that's what he said was required, we better do it. After all, he is God. Now, thankfully, he doesn't require that of us. In fact, the things that he instructs us to do when we do those things, there's safety in it. Had the individual just done what the scripture says about not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers, would not be in this relationship right now, would not be in this lifestyle right now, would not have completely abandoned her her going to church. I don't know the condition of her heart, but I do know this. There is no repentance in in her. When you talk to her now, she's not even the least bit guilty about what she's doing person that one time knew these things were wrong because I still talked with her one time says, I know it's not right. And I'll get it. I'll get it fixed. One of these days today that that concept isn't even there anymore. Now, I don't know the condition of somebody's heart. It's not my business. And I'll tell you the truth. I don't want to know. But I do know this for each of us individual, we've got to make sure that we are, we are bowing our knee and bowing our life at the Lord Jesus, not as savior, but as Lord. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It was a decision to say, whatever is required, I will do it because my life is not my own. In fact, Paul went through a bunch of stuff that you and I never experienced in life. And he called that a light affliction. Think about that. Well, it's just too difficult to do what the scriptures. It's too difficult to walk away from this relationship. It's too difficult to do this thing. It's too difficult to do this with my kids or my finances. It's too difficult to, no, there's great blessing if you'll do that. But it's nowhere near the difficulty that Paul ran into. And he called it his light affliction. Lordship is such an important thing. And this idea of, of obeying the scriptures and obeying God and obeying our hearts, when the Spirit of God deals with our hearts about doing something, it is so important that we react to that and react quickly to it. At what point does deception lay, lay, lay hold of somebody? I don't know. But the Bible says if you're a hearer and not a doer, what happens? It's not that you get deceived by somebody else. You deceive yourself. Think about in the very end to realize the only reason why if you fall into that category where the Lord says, depart from me, you were deceived because you believed you were right, wholeheartedly believed you were right. These are not people that were saying, well, you know, Lord, come on. I think I can talk him in. They honestly believed they were good. That is a result of deception entering into their life. It is so important that we value these things. It's so important that we value these things. Well, you know, one of the things that I believe is important, and, 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 and as we get closer to the return of the Lord, is we are making a, a, an evaluation in our lives. And really, for somebody, it is somebody's last day. And in fact, it could be one of our last days. I don't know. I don't know you. You don't know me, right? We don't know those details. You don't know if I'm going to disobey my heart and do something stupid tomorrow. You don't know right? Skiing down the wrong ski run or something. You don't know what I'm going to do. But the truth is we all have to live very aware of these things and to make sure that we are, yes, producing that in our own lives, but, but also what we produce in our lives is being produced in somebody else's life. 
Now, the parable of the sower, they have two different seeds are being sown. You had the seed of God's word. And can you give me just a few more minutes? The seed of God's word. Then you had other seeds that were there and that were producing thorns. Now, obviously, this scripture, when you read it, when I would read it, I would look at it as far as the produce of my own life. First and foremost, what's getting produced in my life? And what kind of a harvest do I want to have in my life? I was talking to somebody recently who's, who got a decision that they've made and are going a certain direction. I just said, listen, you know this isn't right. And they said, I know, but it's a risk I'm willing to take. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard those words over the years. And what, no matter what the issue is, it's a risk I'm willing to take. I know there are folks that, that went to our church years ago and, 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 this, the, and the husband was offered a great job promotion in another state where there was no church for them to go to. There was no place for them to go and they made the decision to go because the money was right and yet there was nothing there for their family for their walk with God. Today, none of them are serving God. So here's the thing, the seeds that, get, that we allow to get produced in our life, yes, it'll produce a harvest in our own life, but then our life becomes a place where we're producing seeds for somebody else's life. If you plant a, 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 an oak tree, an acorn in, in the soil, it'll produce an, ac- an oak tree. It'll also produce a plant that will bear millions of oak trees, right? That can get planted in somebody else's soil. You know, one of the things that, that is, uh, is really important to me that I see more clearly is our responsibility for others, for other generations, those that, are, that we have influence with above us, below us, all of these things, the generations that are to come. I see the importance of, of us making sure that we are watchful over our own lives so we produce the right things in the lives of those that we have influence and that our soil touches, that our lives are joined together with. When I was in, uh, after we came back from Africa, uh, we stopped, obviously, as you know, we stopped in Paris. Rich Walker, one of the missionaries we support, he supports, uh, he met us there because they've started a work in Paris. And so he, he was our tour guide. And we went to Normandy the first day, saw the World War II, World War II stuff. Then the second day we spent the day in Paris. So we were running around. So into the last stop we made was the Eiffel Tower. I wanted to go see it at night. So we went up to the top of the Eiffel Tower and we're looking out and just far more stunning view than I was expecting to be up there. You know, city of 10 million people is the, is the area of Paris. And so just shocking number of people that live there. And so we're sitting there looking out across the thing and suddenly the Lord just kind of pricked my heart a little bit. And I, instead of just seeing the beauty, I saw, instead I saw a hopelessness all of a sudden. I saw a great need. And so Rich and I started talking, he, he's, they've started a work in Paris. France has 1% people that know Christ. 1% know Jesus of an entire nation. So in the city of Paris, 10 million people, that's roughly what, Dan? 200,000? 100,000 people know Christ. In a city of that million, we looked out, you could probably see 200,000 lights in the distance, you know, around us. That would be 2,000 lights represent people who actually know Christ. And I thought, how in the world? First of all, what a terrible thought. What an awful thought that this is representative. There's such darkness here. You know, Pastor mentioned, you know, that Africa is the dark con- called the dark continent. I call Europe the dark continent now because there's so little light there anymore. That is the average in Europe is 1%. But the thing about Europe is that it is a post-Christian world. It is a community that is post the gospel. It is after the light of the gospel. It is the result of people raising the next generation to not really value the things of God. And in the end, where there once was light, there's now great darkness. 
Think about this. In Africa, there was no light before. They worshiped demons and evil spirits, and they practiced witchcraft. Now the gospel is there, and you see gospel churches and people put on crusades all over the place. Things are happening. There's, yeah, there's still a lot of evil and darkness, but, but the light of the gospel is growing there. But in Europe, it's the direct opposite. In France, the direct opposite. Why is that? This goes back to this foundational truth, this foundational parable. This goes back to a foundational parable that the seeds we allow to be planted in our life will produce not only for us, but for those who come after us, those that we come into contact with and those that follow us. Listen, folks, we have got, it, it is a great opportunity, but also a great responsibility to be stewards of what we've learned. It is a must that we watch over the things that have been placed in our life, that we value God's word. I want to challenge every person. What do what you know to do. Let's not allow ourselves to fall into the road or the way of deception where we think everything is good, where we think we're doing what we need because one area of compromise leads to another area of compromise. You realize that, right? I've seen it happen in my own life. When I make a decision, when I know something is not God's best and I make a decision to go another way, it's a whole lot easier to make another decision that's tied to that. And before you know it, you're doing all kinds of stuff. There's a saying, Lois Toucher said it, we don't know who started it, but sin takes you further than you wanted to go and keeps you longer than you wanted to stay. Right? Making decisions that are opposite of what God's word says, there's deception in there. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it, it ends in death. Now, I know this may, you know, may not be, people are like, wow, I wish Pastor Greg wouldn't do Sunday mornings anymore. This is, this is important stuff. This is important stuff. I tell you, the last several months, I've been really evaluating myself. I want to make sure, do I, do I need any roundup in my life? Do I need to round up some stuff? Because I don't want to be deceived in anything. And I tell you, God has been so faithful to me. Things that maybe I had, he had once talked to me about that I had begun to ignore. Just because I'm open to the light of the word of God and the truth of God, he starts to illuminate those things. Oh, thank you. I can pull that thing up. I can get rid of that thing. I can move that out of my life. Oh, now I can see clearly. Now it's that, now the word of God's not being choked out in this area. Now it can produce what it needs to produce in my life. It's been such a great blessing. But it's so important. As a second generation in this church, it's so important what I do with the truth that I've learned. It's so important how I deposit that in my children's lives, in those that God has placed under, under my care at this point. It's so important how I, how I tend to those things. And I'm only going to be able to tend to it to the degree that I tend to it myself in my own life. Ultimately, I will stand for me alone in the very end, but I, my, I want my responsibility and my work and my effect in others' lives to be what it should be. Like I said, there's so many different things that we could talk about in these things, but it's not a chance that I'm willing to take. What do we do then? Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Mark says, Mark 8 says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, who, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That is a depiction of complete surrender. Are you completely surrendered? Are you completely surrendered? Are you completely surrendered? Like I said, you know, we, we, it's, it would be unwise to get, all, to, 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 to get all panicked because obviously there are all areas we have to grow in, right? 
But check your heart. Are there things the Lord's dealing with you about? Things he's been dealing with you about? Are you bending your knee to him in those areas? Are you not? Being hard-hearted and stubborn in these areas and refusing to do what we know to do produces deception in our life. It chokes the word of God out. Make Jesus the Lord of your life on a, once, but then you do it on a daily basis. You value his word. Get the spiritual roundup out and start spraying those thorns, those weeds in your life. And then start walking in the light that you have. Like I said in John chapter 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Notice after that, he said, and I will pray. As a result, I will pray the Father and he'll give you another helper. Amplified says that's a a helper, a counselor, an intercessor, an advocate, a strengthener, a standby, that he may abide with you forever. And I've gone through periods of my life where I felt like I've had no help. And when when I'm honest about it, it's because the help wasn't there because I didn't have the helper involved because I wasn't yielding to the word in in an area. That's really been what it's been. When I have sensed a lack of help in my life from the spirit of God, it's because there's been a resistance to him in another area. Let's bend our knee. Let's make sure we subject, we bow ourselves to him. Whatever seems good isn't necessarily good. Amen. Praise God. Well, we'll stop with that. Hallelujah. I know, like I said, it was more, more, a little more uh, serious, but that's what's on my heart to talk about this morning. And, and it's such an important thing. It's such an important thing that we do this. I believe God has many things yet for us to do as a church. Many things he's called for us to do. An impact he's called us to have. That's our name and it is impact. There's a greater impact he's called for us to have. But the only way we're going to get there, the only way we're going to see that as, as us as believers, those who are here now, start taking these things seriously and actually bend our knee and say, you know, in this area of my life, you're going to be Lord. I'm making you Lord. I'm making the decision to follow and to serve you. One of the scriptures I'm always reminded of that, that is written in, in uh, Chronicles so I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. I set before you life and death. It is a great privilege to make our own decision. He's given us that right, but also that responsibility. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. He said, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Not just you, so that you and your descendants may live. I know I've had the thought before, it's worth, this is worth the risk. I'm willing to, t- I'm willing to t- test this one out and see if it actually works out the way God says it does. I'm willing to take that risk. Sometimes those seeds produce in our life right away. Other times they get blown by the wind into somebody else's soil. And I've been there where I've said, you know, I'm willing to take that risk. But the truth is you're not just risking your own, you're risking somebody else's as well. You risk, how did France get to where it was? Because somebody took a risk. Let's not take that risk, amen? Let's all stand. Father, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Father, we are grateful. I know these things, Lord, are, are, are difficult sometimes to hear. These things are challenging to us. But at the same point, Father, there is such liberty and freedom in them. And I'm so grateful that you've given us these instructions and you've talked plainly with us through your, in your word. You haven't given us generalized ideas, but you've given us certain foundations, certain things uh, that uh, statements and truths and commandments that when acted upon, they produce 
righteousness. They produce all of the things, the benefits. But Father, they give us a, a, a sure and strong foundation standing before you. Help us, help me, help us. To not just love a convenient gospel, but to love the gospel. To not pursue a convenient truth, but to pursue the truth. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.